Anybody got problems here today? Now the question is, what kind of problems are they? Because there's a whole category of problems you may or may not have heard of. They are called first world problems. Are you familiar with first world problems? There's like hashtags and what is, how do you say Emmy, Emmy on the internet? Meme? Meme? You, you? Meme. Meme. All in favor of meme, say aye. Aye. All opposed, same sign. And meme it is. Yes, first world problems. First world problems are this. I went to the grocery store and I bought more food than I could fit in my refrigerator. Oh, that's a tough problem. Bad to have. Not, not a good thing. A first world problem could, uh, by the way, Weird Al Yankovic has a song. First world problem. I thought about showing it, but nonetheless, there you go. Another first world problem is when you go to get a drink out of the vending machine and all you have in your wallet are 50s. Don't you hate it when that happens? That's bad. People just don't understand how tough life can be. Maybe, maybe this, is, this is my first world problem. You forgot you were watching a recorded program and watched the commercials. That's horrible when that happens. Just bad. Just not cool. Or how about this? I posted a selfie on Instagram and only got seven likes. Maybe I should have done mirror or duck face. I don't know. Could have been anything. And my favorite first world problem, my diamond earrings are so big, they keep scratching my iPhone screen. Isn't that sad? Can you believe that, that that would happen in our world today? These are the problems. Our government, no, not really. We have these things that, that we take for such granted in our life that in other parts of the world seem nonsensical, and that's just it. But, but here's the point. We all do have problems. And they are real, legitimate, big problems. No, not my diamond earrings are scratching my iPhone screen, but there are things that, that you and I face that, that are overwhelming. We come to points in our life where things have happened that we realize, as we talked about in the last few weeks, we have no control over. There's nothing we can do to change it. We feel like we're at the mercy of these circumstances that are overwhelming to us. What do we do when we find ourselves in those things? When we're overwhelmed, when we feel like we've got nothing to do and nowhere to go? We're going to look today at another episode in Elisha's life. We've been looking at him for the last several weeks looking at his prophetic ministry, his call the first week where he was willing to, to burn the plows that were his livelihood and, and uh, roast the oxen that pulled the plows as a, as a symbolic way to say, I'm letting go of everything to pursue what God is calling me to do. Last week, um, we, we saw him as well uh, do some, some remarkable things. Elisha, this miracle worker, this guy that, that worked more miracles recorded in the Bible except for Jesus, a, an amazing prophet. Today we're going to see him encounter someone that was just that in that situation, that had an overwhelming problem that they didn't know what to do about, but Elisha steps in and I think gives us some insight into how we can deal with the things at times that we face that feel a little overwhelming. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. Most of Elisha's ministry is in the book of 2 Kings, 
and, and in that um, in that section there, we see last week, as we said, uh, we looked at this this army that needed water, and what did he tell them to do? You remember what we had to do last week? Dig a ditch. All in, did you dig any ditches this week? Nope. Good. That is a good thing. Any week without a ditch dug is a good week. Amen? Yeah, exactly. Well, this week we see uh, another episode in his life. Beginning in verse 1, we get a little bit of the of the background. And Second uh, Kings chapter 4, verse 1 says this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Pretty remarkable uh, society when those are the kind of things that happen. But, but that's the way uh, in, in that world it happened. Um, first of all, that a widow would be in a pretty bad situation. Women in that society kind of depended on a, a man, be it a husband or a male child that was an adult or maybe a, a kinsman redeemer, one that would marry her after her husband died, to kind of provide stability, to kind of provide that, that sense of, of security that she needed. And here, this particular widow is in a situation where, um, well, she owes some, a debt she can't pay. Now, now, by the way, tradition tells us uh, this it may be the prophet Obadiah's widow, which is interesting. Obadiah, one of the shortest books in the Old Testament. Um, if you want to read a prophetic book, read Obadiah, because you can do it in like five minutes. It's great. So I read a whole book of the Bible this afternoon. Go do that. It's a great plan. Brag about it on Facebook, Instagram, see if you get more than seven likes. It could work. You know, you could take a selfie with the Bible open and hashtag holy moment. Try it. You never know. These are the ideas, you know, nonetheless. So we think maybe traditionally uh, this is Obadiah's wife. It would make sense that she was kind of in a rough way because Obadiah had a company of prophets, about 50, it's thought, that he cared for. And he would, as a prophet, share the limited resources he might have to provide for these other prophets. And after his, during his life, prophets weren't always the most popular in Israel. Sometimes their message wasn't the most encouraging. They would confront kings. They would confront the governments and called them to repentance and called them to turn away from the things they were doing. And so often they would find themselves on the run and not able to kind of have that secure place with all the resources they would need. And Obadiah may have been in that situation when he dies. Now his wife cannot work. She's got uh, two boys, so children, not men, not ones that are able to work and provide for her. And the, the solution in that society when you owed something that you couldn't pay was that sometimes your possessions would be taken by the one you owed and they would keep them until, here's the cool thing about Israel, another side thing, is the year of Jubilee when, when all debts were considered paid in full. So that's kind of cool. We should, that's another story for another day. But that's what she's facing. It's possible because of what she owes, she's, she's going to be in a bad way. Not only having limited resources, but losing probably the most precious thing she could imagine, her children. Grieving and facing the loss of her children. What in the world is going to happen? Well, verse 2 tells us this. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, I like the first part of that. A lot of times when we, when we hear people that have problems, the Christian response is, Well, I'll pray for you. Now, let me say this. Praying for somebody, muy bueno. 
that wasn't speaking in tongues, that was Spanish, and that's the neighborhood. Just want to make sure it is a Baptist church. We haven't gone off the deep end. Uh, that's very good to pray for somebody. But if you're like me, let's be honest, how many times, I'm not looking for a number, just an agreement, have you said to somebody when they tell you something, I will pray for you, and immediately after that you get back to your life and you realize you never actually pray for that person? I'm raising my hand because that's me sometimes. And I'm sorry if you're the recipient of that. But we do that. That's just normal. What is Now, Elisha could have said that. That would have been a good thing. He's a prophet of God. You would think when the prophet of God says, I will pray for you, the people of Israel would go, yes. That's who I want praying for. And the prophet goes, well, no, what does he say? How can I help you? Yes, prayer, hugely important. But Elisha's willing to deal with the practicalities. Elisha's going to get involved in her life. And one of the things I think that's beautiful about God's design for the church is he gives us each other for these reasons, so that we can help each other. When we do have problems, when we do have struggles, when we do have those moments when we need support, this should be our response. We should look to see how can we help one another. What, and maybe that is prayer. Certainly valuable and right to do that. But maybe it's another practical way. Now, Elisha, being a miracle worker, we'll see, had some tricks up his sleeve or some resources that maybe we don't have that we can count on as much, but, but a very practical response. How can I help you? And we're going to see Elisha point this widow to a God who is able to meet even the greatest need. Because what we find out is when we get to a point like her, when we're in great need, often we want to talk about, well, God, I need this or I want that. And what we'll find out through Elisha's encounter with her in our own lives, is often when we get to the point where we recognize our need or our lack, we'll find out all we really need is the presence and power of God to work on our behalf. And that's what she'll find out. So Elijah says, how can I help you? What do you have in your house? What does the widow say? The next part of this passage, the next verse, she says, your servant has nothing there at all. Now that is a sad answer. Because when we think about being in situations where we're overwhelmed, when all we see is the, the pressure mounting, this is most often our response. I have nothing at all. We focus too much on what we lack. We focus too much on what we don't have or what we wish we had. Because if we just had this, everything would be okay. In fact, if we were to go around this room today, I am sure just about every one of us could say, my life would be better if I had. My life would be better if I had just a little more money. Whether it's in the bank and my investments and my retirement account, to pay the bills this month, a lot of people say, if I just had a little more money, I'd be okay. Others would say different things. If I had this maybe physical situation, this medical issue taken care of. Very real concerns for us when we have uh, those things that come on. Whatever it is, if I just had this kind of relationship, maybe if I was, uh, if I was just married or if I just had a, 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 a this kind of person or if I just had a better job, whatever it is, all those things, we often focus on what we lack. And that's exactly what this servant, this woman did. She said, as I look around, all I see 
is a whole lot of nothing. I can't think that there's anything here that I have. I guess the best example I can think of is how many of you have ever walked into your closets, opened them, looked around, and said, say it with me, I have nothing to wear when you could clothe a small village with what's in that closet. Right? Am I right? Am I right? Right, right. You know I'm right. So what we do, it's how we look. It's how too often we focus on the negative. And here's what, what I think Elisha might say to us and what God might remind us of is if we'd stop waiting for what we want, we would in turn see that God can use what we have. Because after she said, I have nothing there at all, she adds a little phrase. And if you read ahead, you know what it is. What does she say next? Except just a little oil. Except a little oil. That doesn't sound like much, right? I mean, what's a little oil? I don't know exactly. It doesn't give us a measurement. I don't know if it's enough to make brownies, enough to make flour. I don't know what we're talking about. But what is it that she has? She has actually something very valuable. Uh, oil in that culture, particularly olive oil, had a variety of uses. Certainly, we would say you could cook with it, right? Healthy oil to cook with. You hear it all over the place. Not only that, you can put it in, in lamps and burn. And if, uh, if any of you were at our men's group meeting, we had an oil. Uh, this was a while back at, at when Craig had it in his house. Somebody brought in an olive oil lamp. And one thing I'll tell you about olive oil lamps is, boy, did they burn with a big fire and a lot of smoke. Because when somebody comes in and says, I want to show you this, you know, this uh, Israeli lamp and lights it, and the wife of the house goes, he's going to burn my house down. You know you're having a good men's group. That was excellent. But nonetheless, they put, you put them in lamps. You can provide light uh, for, your, for your house. Um, they are a moisturizer. There were no bath and body works back in ancient Israel. You shouldn't go in and get that cucumber melon or whatever great fragrance you like from there and, and, and moisturize. You could use olive oil as a moisturizer. You could use it to uh, put on leather and make it more pliable. You could uh, keep things from rusting with it. You could certainly, in a more religious or spiritual sense, you could anoint things with it, maybe for prayer. And, and it was a picture that was often uh, something offered to God. And so here, this, this widow that felt so lacking, except for this, missed the fact that if all we focus on is what we need, we'll never use what we have. And aren't you glad that little is much in the hands of God. You don't need much when you trust God with it. In fact, Jesus is preaching. You're probably familiar with this story. Several thousand people are there. 5,000 men plus the women and children. And it's time for dinner. And they're going to, the disciples say, let's send them all home. There's no way we can feed this crowd. And if you're familiar with the story, you know what happens next. There's a boy with what? Two fish and loaves. I like to think of it as mini muffins and sardines. We're not talking, you know, like big, long French loaves of bread and, and like 30-pound grouper he pulled out. We're talking just, just enough for a little boy to eat. And that five loaves and two fish offered to Jesus feeds 5,000 people with 12 baskets filled left. Why? Because when we offer what we have to God, He's able to use even what seems like the, the meagerest amount for things that are amazing. And that's why we can trust him. There, there are other places that he says to, to this widow, Elijah says, this is a, what do you have in your house? And it reminds me of what God says to Moses. What does God say to Moses? What's in your hand? And what was in Moses' hand? A staff, 
whole group of people that worked for him, but like a wooden stick. And what happened with that wooden stick? He threw it down. Work with me, people. Work with me. I'm just trying to keep you awake. Throws it down. It becomes a snake. And then what happens? He reaches down and picks it up, and it's a staff again. Remember that? It's in the Bible. Exodus. He holds it over the Red Sea. What happens? There's a big battle. As long as his arms are raised with that staff in his hand, what happens? Israel wins. When his arms go down, he needs help. They hold him up. He uses the staff to strike a rock. And water comes out. Of course, that wasn't a good thing, was it? Maybe that's not the best example. Let's scratch that because he got got in trouble for that. But nonetheless, God says to Moses, not, hey, listen, Moses, what do you really need that I can give you? Moses, you just tell me what you want. I know this is overwhelming odds. The whole Exodus thing is coming up. You tell me what you want, Moses, and I'll provide it for you, and you'll see I'm amazing. No, he says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And God used what was a very simple implement to to use as an instrument that led to the liberation of, of Israel. Sometimes when we think about it, we think of the verse in the New Testament where it says, faith the size of a mustard seed is what you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea and it'll move. Just a little bit. It's not, not how much we have, whether it's faith or other things. It's, it's in what, in whom, I should say, we trust that makes all the difference. And Elisha says to this widow, what do you have in your house? Just like God says to us sometimes, what do you have in your hand? What is it when you stop waiting and worrying and stewing and praying about what you need or think you want and just realize that God has given you something that you have to start working with? You can see that God can use a lot of things. See, we often think, I can't because I don't. I can't do this because I don't have that. I can't serve God because of this or whatever. And, and faith says, I can because I don't. Totally different viewpoint of things. Faith is the kind of thing that looks not to what we have in our hands, but to, to the God in whom we trust and trust Him to take even the little we have and multiply it. And so we see that is the case here. She has just a little oil, and God is going to remarkably use that. The, the passage goes on, and it tells us this. Elisha says in verse 3, Go around. And ask all your neighbors for empty jars. And don't ask for just a few. We could camp out there for a long time. We won't. This is an aside. This isn't in my notes. This is just extra. This is thrown in for fun. So we can, I don't know. It's thrown in. I don't know if it's fun. Let me let you decide that. But nonetheless, what does he say? Don't ask for just a few. You know, sometimes we feel like we're inconveniencing God with our prayers. Have you ever felt that way? You know, God, I know you got a lot of huge things in the world to worry about. I mean, there's all these tragedies and there's all these problems. So I don't even think I should ask you about this, God. I'm just, so, so, you know, if it's not too much trouble and if you're not too busy, God, if you could just kind of help me with this. We pray like that sometimes, don't we? I, I have thought those. And you, some of you have told me that's how you think about things sometimes. You feel like God has got bigger things to mess with. God's got bigger things issues to deal with than the, the thing that you think in comparison isn't that big of a deal. But, but we're told to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. We're told to, to seek and to ask and to knock. 
we're told we have not because we ask not. Now, don't hear me say, because this is not what I'm saying, if you just ask God for fill in the blank, he'll give it to you, because God is not at your beck and call. God is not obligated in any way to answer my prayer. But, if I don't ask, if I don't seek, if I don't knock, if I don't cast my cares upon him, there's something I'm going to miss in that sense of dependence and relationship with a God who, as we said last week, can do immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine. And we allow him to work and trust his wisdom and think, you know, God cares enough for me that all the minutia of my life he knows and can hear and will even deal with if I will trust him. Don't just ask for a few. Don't ask for, for one or two, you know. When you go ask for those jars, Elisha says, ask for some jars. Demonstrate your faith. Demonstrate that you think God is able to do more than you give him credit for. And so, Scripture goes on and records in the next verse. Then go inside and shut the door. Elisha's still talking behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So she left him, and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. Remarkably, isn't it? She kept pouring. They kept bringing jars. And the oil kept flowing. When did the oil stop flowing? When there were no more jars left. Only then. It wasn't like she had to to figure out, okay, I think God can fill ten jars, so bring me ten. If she would have brought ten jars, you know how many jars God would have filled? Ten. She brought twenty jars? Okay, good. Just checking. Twenty-two jars? Okay, I'm so sorry. No. The oil flowed as long as there were jars there. It's as if we said a few weeks ago, God says, you show me your faith, and I will show you my faithfulness. You take that step toward me. You do that thing, like digging a ditch when you're dehydrated. You trust me, and you do the thing I'm asking you, and see if I won't faithfully meet the need of your life as you're trusting me. See, it's when we offer God what we have that we realize he will give us what we need. Only when we offer all that we have will God give us what we need. And what was the criteria that that Elisha says to the widow that she needed to look for? What, what What were the kinds of jars she needed? When you read that, what jumps out at you? What kind of jars? Big jars? Little jars? Peanut butter jars? Hey, what's that word? Who said that? Oh, Miss Paula. That's a good word. What's that word again? Empty jars. That was the thing, wasn't it? That that was the criteria. I just want you to bring me empty jars. Collect those empty jars, not just a few. And as she poured, and that's the key. The jar had to be empty. Now, what does that have to do with you and I, you wonder? Great question. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this. 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What are the things mentioned here that are the jars of clay? That's us. That's you and I. We are jars of clay in this analogy. We are are in, in the Garden of Eden. God formed man from the dust of the earth. We're containers made of dust. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, a phrase that, that you might have heard and, and, and seen used in certain contexts. Well, that's the case here. That's us. We have these treasures in jars of clay. We are jars. We are the vessels that God can fill. And oil in Scripture symbolically represents the Holy Spirit of God. And to be filled with the Spirit, I think, the same criteria that, that this widow had to follow is the same one we need to remember. We have to be empty. We have to empty ourselves of pride, of self-sufficiency. I can do this. God, I don't want to trouble you. That's all some sort of self-sufficiency. God, this is no big deal. Don't worry about it. I got this part. We need to empty ourselves of that. We need to empty ourselves of, of greed, of, of wanting more and more and more and more. See, I think... At times in, in our culture, and, and I'll agree with David Platt, he wrote the book, uh, what's it called? Oh, what's his book? Is it Follow Me? Yeah, that's the one. He said that. You get bonus points. Thank you, Tessie. Radical. Who talked about this confluence, this confusion of the Christian life with the American dream, that somehow those two have kind of meld together, that we think the good Christian life is the fulfillment of the American dream. And and, and that in our culture, there's a whole segment of Christianity that would use some of the same things we've talked about today, about you have not because you ask not, and ask, seek, and knock, and all those things, and say to you, if, if you would just have enough faith, you would be, you would, God would just pour open, open the gates of heaven and pour blessing into your life, and he would meet all your needs, and you would be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's kind of, there's a whole segment of Christianity that, that points to that, that that what God really wants us to have is everything. Which is interesting. When you consider Jesus, who said what? I don't even have a place to lay my head. Right? Foxes have holes and birds of the nest. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place. Who went from place to place when it was time to pay taxes, what did he do? That's fishing, by the way. I don't know if you can tell. Casting, kneeling. Do y'all not fish here? I thought fishing was big in the Keys. You just don't do it that way, I guess. Maybe that's the, maybe that's why I don't do much catching, a lot of fishing. That's another story. You know, it goes fishing and catches a fish and says that. I mean, Jesus wasn't this man that when you watch his life, he was just overflowing with everything of material things. Now, let me be quick to say, well, that's the case. Material blessing isn't an inherently bad thing, but it's not the end goal of pursuing God. It's not the end goal of Christianity. The, the, the need of this widow wasn't that if she would just have a little more money, she'd be okay. And if we confuse those two, we'll seek God for the things he can give us rather than for God himself, who is the ultimate good that we can seek. Because we'll, we'll, we'll see through her example, through Elisha's example, through Jesus' example. It's, it's not what we want that's important. 
God has already given us. And it's when we give up what we feel like is the little we have that God will prove to us He is more than we need and He will provide for all we need. That's the lesson she learned. And as we are these jars of clay, we'll find out that as we empty ourselves, God will pour His Holy Spirit in and we'll find out that when we are weak, Scripture says, then He is strong. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. When I'm sorrowful, when I'm grieving, when I'm hurting, then I find out the Holy Spirit is the the comforter of God that comes and ministers to to my life. When I feel like I I don't know which way to go, I I will hear the words of Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or even as we learned in Bible school, this is the way, Isaiah says, walk in it. When I am hungry, I'll find out that Jesus is the bread of life. And when I'm thirsty, I'll find out He is the living water. When I am feeling like my life is unstable and there's no way to go, then I'll find out that Jesus is the rock on which I can build my life. And when I build my house upon the rock, no matter what happens, the storm, the winds that come, I will find out my house will stand. See, this widow, she owed an incredible debt. And as she looked at her circumstances, she saw what she didn't have. She saw what she needed. She saw the tragedy that was awaiting her. Her own son's going to be taken from her to pay that debt. And Elisha walks into her life and demonstrates that she can trust God. It's, it's when we come to the end of ourselves, when we realize that it's not what we want that matters, but it's that God himself is able to meet our deepest needs, that we, like she, will, will see that miraculous provision of God on our behalf. And, and, and we see that first and foremost in the cross. We sang a few songs earlier about the power of the cross, the wonderful cross. And that's, that's what that is about. Because maybe you don't have today a creditor hovering over you saying, I'm going to take your children from you. But we all owed a debt to God we could not pay. And that was the debt of our sin. It separated us from Him, the holy God. No way that, that sin could be in His presence. And there's nothing that we could do, no matter how good we tried to be, that would cancel out the debt of our sin. And into that situation, God would send His Son, Jesus, who would take upon Himself my sin and your sin and go to the cross and there offer Himself the sacrifice of sin so that if we but place our faith in Him, we can be forgiven. That which was to our credit, that debt we had no hope of repaying can be instantly and completely and eternally wiped out, forgiven, when we trust that God took it upon Himself to offer the payment for that debt that I owed. And and today, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you've never trusted what God has done through His Son Jesus to pay the debt for your sin, we're going to invite you in a few minutes through our time of response to turn in faith to a God who loved you enough to send His one and only Son to die. And who, though He died, rose from the grave and provides the first fruits and the hope of our one day resurrection to be reunited with not only Jesus, but in heaven with all those who have gone before us with all the glories of eternity, with streets of gold, which is pretty cool when you think about it. When gold becomes pavement, the economy is upside down. Isn't it? That's what you get in heaven. All of that is awaiting for those who won't 
seek those things and look at our, the emptiness of our hands and say, I don't have anything, God. But we'll see the little bit he's trusted us with and respond to him in faith and watch his miraculous provision in our hands. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have done in history through your son Jesus. I thank you that in him we have the hope of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternity. Lord, I thank you that even when we look at the situations in our life that seem overwhelming, that you have invited us to turn to you, to cast our cares upon you, to trust you. And Lord, when we quit focusing on what we want and on the great need that we feel we have, Lord, it's then that we will find out you are more than able to Lord, I pray today if there be someone here who does not know you, has never turned to you in faith, who has never confessed that they are a sinner, have broken your law, have offended a holy and eternal God, that today they would do that. They would confess and, and realize that they need a Savior and that that Savior is Jesus the second person of the Trinity, God made flesh that came and lived a sinless life and was able to offer himself as the punishment for sin so that all who believe in him, who place their faith in him, can be forgiven and adopted as your children. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to do that today, I pray you give them the courage to turn to you in faith. And Lord, I know as we started today, and I asked, does anybody have problems? We all have those things, those problems that, that we feel overwhelmed by. And I pray even in these next moments of, of our response that, that we as your people might turn to you and quit looking at what we want, quit looking at the, what we feel is the little that we have, but instead start trusting a God who can use even the, the littlest even a mustard seed size of faith to work in a miraculous way. Father, may you be our provision. May you be that which satisfies. May we find in you all that we truly need. I pray these things in Christ's name.